Well, this morning we are kicking off a brand spanking new series. Isn't that exciting? All right, you guys are excited this morning. Um, so, and the reason we chose today uh, for this new series is because today is actually a very important day on the calendar. I'm sure that all of you know this too, right? You guys, how many of you know what day it is today besides Sunday? Put your hands, I'm just kidding. Today is actually the first day of the church season called Advent. I am sure most of you had this day marked on your calendar because it's very important to you. Um, Many of us might actually be thinking, I didn't know the church had a calendar. That's interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's you. Um, Advent is the season when the church takes intentional time to anticipate the coming of the Messiah Jesus. And, and so what the church does is we partake in these moments where, where we remember and we get excited about and we prepare for the day that our Savior will be born. And in the future, we, we also anticipate the day that Jesus is going to come back again and fix this whole world once and for all. And we anticipate that that's what Advent is. And so in the season of Advent, we are going to kick off a new series, just a short one called When Shalom Comes Home. And in this series, uh, we're going to be taking a good hard look at the word peace. Uh, uh, The Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Many of you probably know this. And, you know, many of us, when we think of the word peace, we think of something like the absence of conflict or something like that. But shalom is a much bigger word than just that. Shalom can mean well-being. It can mean rest. It can mean completion or silence or deliverance or prosperity. And there's many, many other words that encapsulate the word shalom. And, you know, when we think of all of the chaos in our lives and all the sin in our lives and all the darkness in the world, and we think of all of it being swept Wept away and done away with, the thing that we are left with is shalom, with peace. That's what shalom is. It's the world the way it's supposed to be. You know, in Jesus, true peace and true shalom is found. Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace in the scriptures. And Jesus calls his followers to extend his shalom to the whole world. He actually does so in Matthew as well. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so in the next few weeks, we are going to explore what this shalom and what this peacemaker thing looks like. And this morning, we're going to take some time to explore the, uh, the word shalom in the context of our communities and cities and places that we find ourselves residing in. Because in the scriptures, peace is not simply something for Christ followers. In the scriptures, peace is something that is meant for the whole world. It's not individualistic. It's not just for me. But shalom is for the whole world. And we are called by Christ to be peacemakers in the communities and cities that we are found in. And so we're going to read about that this morning in the scriptures. And the scripture reading this morning is two scriptures. It's Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, and Philippians 3, uh, 20 through 4, 1. And John Koning has graciously agreed to read for us. So John, you can head on up. What we do here is we stand and we face where the scripture is read because we believe that the scriptures are the true story of uh, of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and they're the utmost importance because of that. So go ahead, John. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile 
from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. In this way, dear friends. Thanks, John. You may be seated. Now, we need to set the context for what's going on in our Jeremiah passage this morning because the Hebrew people have just been exiled to Babylon. You know, what happens just pages before is the Hebrew people were warned and threatened by God to stop worshiping false idols, to start taking care of the least of these, take care of the refugee and the poor, the widow, the fatherless. And the Hebrew people's job, that was their job to take care of these people and to worship the one and only God. And guess what? They don't do it. And after being warned over and over again, God makes good on his threats. He basically says to the Hebrew people, look, if you don't repent, if you don't turn away from the way you're living, you will be kicked out of the land that I promised you and you will be sent somewhere else. You will be exiled. And of course, the Hebrew people don't repent at all. And the Babylonians step in and they destroy Jerusalem, they destroy the temple, and they send the Hebrew people off to the land of Babylon. Now, the Babylonians were very, very smart in the way that they conquered people. What they would do is they would conquer a people and then they would take the people that they just conquered and then they would send them off to the Babylonian Empire. And they would not just send them off in a large group, they would break them up into very, very small groups and then spread them all across the entire Babylonian Empire. And why they would do that is because without the, uh, these people's culture with them, they would eventually lose it. And one day, maybe a generation, maybe two generations later, these people would stop calling themselves wherever they came from, and they would start calling themselves Babylonians. And this is exactly what happens to our Hebrew people in our passage. The Hebrew people are sent off to Babylon, and they are spread across the entire empire. And, and the Babylonians just wait at this point for the Hebrew people to turn into good men and women and children of Babylon, of Babylonians, of good Babylonians. And so the Hebrew people in our Jeremiah passage are at the front end of this new reality where they find themselves in this four land Babylon their houses destroyed their families split up and now what and so God sends a message through Jeremiah his prophet uh, to the Hebrew people in exile and the question is what does God say in this moment their lives are destroyed they are stripped from their land things really couldn't get much worse what does God say now, I would think, personally, 
that God would send a message to his people that would say something like, Hebrew people, stay strong. Don't assimilate. Don't identify with the Babylonians. Don't care for the Babylonians. No, bubble up, huddle together the best you can. Don't change, don't flourish, don't do a thing. Just wait because one day God's going to come back and he's gonna, I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna send you back to your promised land. You would think God would say something like that. I would bet the Hebrews are thinking, you know, we want God to say something like, hey, Hebrew people, rise up, fight back. I will fight with you. The Babylonians are bad. You are good. You know, what can the Babylonians do with God, with Yahweh on your side? You would expect a message like that, but it's not what they get. Instead, they get this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may be, have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's the wrong message. Are you kidding me? This is not what the Hebrew people wanted to hear from their God. To seek peace for Babylon? The people that just destroyed our lives, seek peace for them? Seek their well-being? There is no revolt, there's no riot, no holy huddle, no nothing. It's business as usual. In fact, you Hebrew people, says God, you should be even more attentive to the place that I have sent you. Care for it. Seek its peace. Ensure that it prospers. And when you live a life seeking peace for the city, maybe you'll find some peace for yourself too. This message is quite surprising. You see, in the scriptures, God is not interested in only his people. God is interested in the peace that goes for the entire world, a peace for the whole world, even Babylon. And God uses his people to be conduits of his peace where they might find themselves, even Babylon. And you know what? This is true for you and for me too. Wherever we reside, we are called as Christ followers to seek peace. We are called to be peacemakers in the cities we dwell in, in Buell and Kimberly and Filer and Twin Falls and all the other cities in our area. We are called to be peacemakers there. If you were here last week, Pastor Brian said that we are to be ambassadors, and I would add to that, we are to be ambassadors of Christ's peace. That's what we are called to do. We are called to be peacemakers in the Magic Valley. In fact, it is a part of our mission statement at TFRC to be a vibrant community, passionately modeling Jesus. Where? Here, in the Magic Valley. And so I think there are three dimensions of this peace for the city that I'd like to unpack this morning with you. And the first is this. 
Pursuing peace for the city isn't an agenda, but a way of life. Peacemaking isn't a job to do so much as it is a way of living. You see, the peace that only comes from God comes from God when the church is being the church community God intended it to be. And this is actually what I think this Jeremiah passage is all about. It's a guide to living a godly life. This passage is what it looks like when a godly community finds themselves living in an ungodly city. It looks like building houses and settling down and continuing the community legacy through marriage and kids and and seeking peace and prosperity for those around us and bringing all of it to God in prayer. You see, what the Hebrew people never understood, perhaps until this point, is that God isn't so interested in us following rules, per se, but God is interested in the way we live our lives, to live into the rhythm that God designed us to live, to make sure that everyone has a roof over their heads, to marry and to have kids, to constantly be be looking beyond ourselves, beyond our own circumstances, into the needs of the community around us, the church and everyone else, to pray constantly for your community, your city, wherever you find yourself. We, not that justice be served, but pray that, that, that it proffers, pr- uh, prospers and grows like a field before harvest. You see, there are only really two ways to live our lives. There, there's one way, which is to live against the rhythm of creation that God designed us. And then there's the other way is to actually follow it. And when we live against the way that God designed us to live, chaos is always the result, every single time. And I think we are familiar with chaos, are we not? We all know and maybe some of us more than others, that kids before marriage can create unnecessary strife that kids after marriage sometimes doesn't. Some of us have experience with that. We all know that a homeless person creates problems in the community, not just for themselves, but for the community. Homelessness actually creates chaos. We know that there are some things in life that create chaos, and there are other things in life that seem to create peace. And we know this because we saw all the chaos during our Thanksgiving meal as we looked at our families and ate turkey. (laughs) There's some truth there. You know, this isn't the only way we create chaos. We, we create chaos when we allow systems of injustice to go on and on and on. Sometimes ignoring the homeless guy with the sign feels easier than actually helping the homeless guy with the sign. But when those in need stay in need, chaos is the result. Our world today, I'm going to let you in on something, our world today is in chaos. Our cities we live in, our neighborhoods are in chaos. You know, we have a a tradition at, at my house and I, I make my wife begrudgingly come with us. And what we do is, is we go out to breakfast at McDonald's 
and then we eat as much as we possibly can because it's so cheap, we do that. So we go and we go big for breakfast. You can ask my children if you really have questions about that. And, and don't judge me, don't, I know that none of you do stuff like that. Um, but we recently, we went to McDonald's to do our, our big breakfast and we went really big. We had like two whole trays piled with food and we are going to take down all of it. It's really quite disgusting. And so we go and, and we sit down at the table and we begin to gorge ourselves unnecessarily. And as we're eating, I notice out of the corner of my eye, there is a guy sitting alone in a booth just sitting there. And so I'm watching him because it's pretty obvious from his dress and his hygiene that he's a homeless man. And so I'm sitting there eating and I'm watching what this guy is doing. And at one point, this guy gets up and then he walks over to where the condiments are. He takes a handful of ketchups and he comes back to his seat. He sets them down. He grabs one, rips it open, and then begins to squeeze the contents of the ketchup packet in his mouth. And he empties that one and he grabs another one and does the same thing. And he does that over and over and over again. This man's life was in chaos. And this man's life is not as uncommon in our neighborhoods, in our cities, as we would like to believe. And, and, and you know what I did amidst all this chaos? For this homeless guy eating ketchup packets, nothing. I didn't do a thing. In fact, I found myself making a snide comment about him to my wife. And then my wife, in all grace and mercy, says we are buying this man a meal, and, and we did. You see, it's not generally my way of life to tend to those outside my family and in my circle of influence. I am really, really good at ignoring the homeless guy eating ketchup packets. But, but the thing is, when we ignore the chaos around us, we are simply propagating more and more chaos. And let me let you in on something. We're actually disobeying God. Because this is not what God calls his people to do. He calls us to care for the guys eating ketchup packets, to care for them, to help them, to guide them, to help them get their lives back on track, to maybe help them find a job and to find stability and peace amidst the chaos. Could you imagine, TFRC, if all of us started to get really, really serious about helping the folks eating ketchup packets? It would change the magic valley. The chaos that we feel would maybe feel a little less. And if we all did it, it would make a huge dent in God's coming kingdom. You see, God doesn't call us to tick off a list of rules about peace. God wants his people to live lives that emanate peace. In everything we do, in everything we pursue, in everything we care about, peace should be the result. And, you know, what we say to our kids at home is we say, the goal of your life is to make the world a better place for Jesus. That's the goal of your life. You know what? That's the goal of all of our lives. And this isn't done through an agenda. It's done by living a life that naturally creates peace 
out of chaos. Second point, pursuing peace for the city is not for us, but it still comes to us. God calls us to pursue the peace of the city for the city's sake, not for our own. It's something that the Hebrew people had to learn the hard way. God had to send them into exile in Babylon and force them to pursue the peace of Babylon to understand that this peace was not all about them. God calls us to pursue peace of the city for the city's sake. It's not about our own peace. We are not called to be peacemakers for ourselves. I don't know if we knew this. You know, when we live our lives trying to do just that, pursuing peace for me, keeping the peace for me, what we do along the way is we create chaos for everyone else. You know, when I was a, a kid, we had a neighbor that lived directly behind us, and, and he had a reputation in our community. Everyone actually had a name for him. They called him Grumpy Man. That's seriously what everyone called him. And he was on my top five list of grumpiest people I've ever met in my life. I have, I have five lists for that. Um, and in the summers, we would, ride, we would ride our bikes around the neighborhood. We'd play basketball. And if something touched his lawn he would go berserk. If I was shooting baskets and the, the basketball bounced off the rim and then landed in his yard, he would come out and yell at me. It's what he did. One summer, I was riding my bike down the sidewalk past his house and I took kind of a, a shortcut turn and it kind of went into his lawn, my bike tires did, and he did not just yell at me. He came running out of his house and chased me down the street yelling at me. He was this kind of guy. At one point, I was walking my dog and my dog decided as we were walking by his house, unfortunately, that it had to go to the bathroom. You know how this goes. And so we're walking and the dog goes to the bathroom in his grass and actually... Nothing happened. Until six o'clock that night, my parents got a phone call from the police department about it. This guy was very concerned with his own stuff, with his own peace, and it absolutely cost him. He had a reputation in the neighborhood. No one liked him in the neighborhood. He had no friends in the neighborhood. He was invited to no barbecues in the neighborhood. And when he died just a few years later, not one person from the neighborhood was at his funeral. You see, the peace of the city is not for us. It's not about our peace. It, it can't be. If it's in our own interest, if we're always pursuing our peace, then it effectively eliminates our witness of the peace of Christ. It does. The peace of the city must be for the city. But, but even in saying this, it's for the city, but somehow we still come to find peace too. Because what we find is when we make peace for others, we find peace for ourselves too. It happens. Jeremiah says to the Hebrew people to seek the peace of the city and to pray that it prospers. And guess what will happen? You will prosper with it. There is something that happens when we create peace for others. And that somehow we find peace for ourselves you know, there's the famous Baptist preacher 
who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, he says this. He says, you have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. When we help others, it makes us feel alive in some way that we never felt before. I would argue it gives us peace. You see, when we become peacemakers for our communities and the city we reside in as a byproduct, we find peace for ourselves too. One more. Pursuing peace for the city must be sought for today, but fully realized tomorrow. And this is where we move on to our Philippians passage. Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. You see, We're called to be peacemakers, but the peace that we offer is not from this world. It's from God. It's a peace from God through the work of Jesus in his ministry and his death and his resurrection. It's a different kind of peace. We are called to be peacemakers today because we realize that we will never bring total peace to the world, but because it's not our responsibility to It's Christ, the Prince of Peace. You see, one day, Jesus will return to this world as the Prince of Peace. And when he comes, he will deal with all the chaos and all the strife and all the darkness and all of the sin. And he will sweep all of it away. And the thing that will remain is unlimited, unending shalom. You know, if we're honest... Our lives are filled with chaos. Whether you call yourself a a Christ follower or call yourself something else, our lives are full of chaos. Whether it be as moms and dads trying to figure out how to raise kids or, or health issues that won't seem to go away or relational issues or whatever it may be, chaos fills our lives. And we are called as Christ followers to step into the chaos as peacemakers. Not because we expect our work to fix the whole world, but because we know that Jesus will one day return and wipe all the chaos away and there will be an everlasting shalom. We can stand firm in the midst of our chaotic lives because we know that Jesus is coming one day to finish what he started and to fulfill the peacemaking that we have tried to do. And until that day, Jesus calls his church to be his hands and to be his feet as peacemakers. So the question for us this morning is, is my life bringing the peace of Christ to my city? When we look at our lives this morning and we look at our past, have we brought peace or have we brought chaos? And secondly, where do I see chaos in my city? Wherever we find ourselves living, whether it be Twin Falls or somewhere else, where do you see 
chaos. And lastly, what is God calling you and me to do about it? How can we be peacemakers in the chaos, in the cities and neighborhoods and we, where we live? You know, TFRC has been involved for a very long time in trying to help people find peace out of the chaos in their lives. And one of the ways we have done that is through our Monday night recovery for life. And what we actually recently did is we shot a video with some of our facilitators talking about just how peace happens on a Monday night with all these folks coming in with so many hurts and habits and needs or whatever it may be. So check out this video. Several years ago, some of us were talking about starting this group, and we talked about what we would call it, and we came up with the name Recovery for Life, because we don't just recover and it's all over. You're never really fully recovered. You just have to keep working on it. This is a place that's safe to, to be able to come and um, and know that we have the struggles and we're trying to make life better, um, but Jesus Christ is there and, and other people who believe in Jesus Christ is there to support, and so it's a safe place. To give them tools and skills and have them see that yes, it can be different um, for us, and that is what really it's all about for me. Seeing somebody come through the door um, that has the chaos and uh, week to week to week you can see how you know, God was there this this week and this is what I struggled with and I prayed to God and, and I made it through. I made it through another week, I made it through another day and you can just see them transforming people and, and lives and people are, are seeking Him on their most difficult times and they're conquering things that they haven't been able to in the past. I've seen these women come in just all beaten down and they go out strong and fit into the community and just make a life for themselves that's so much better than what they had. What's so um, powerful about this is, you know, God is using them and we, so I don't know if we ever, or if they even know how they're influencing other people but their healing is is making a difference for other people that are you know seeing that as they grow and learn they can only change themselves they go out into the community and they um, are able to fit in better they are better parents they are better spouses uh, you take addictions out of a home that you can help you know, with that being gone and God's being the focus of, of everything, it mends families. It's uh, it's bringing families together. It's changing people's lives. And as God works in their lives, and they become voices of God, of hey, you know, Jesus worked in my life, and this is how. And and then they have a story. I have had people in my groups that have come back to be leaders because they've seen what it does for them in their lives. You can pray with um, the women 
I find that so um, powerful and empowering, and I think that if um, other people, especially if they're feeling lost and don't know what their purpose is, if they can get involved in something where they're giving back, they can find that purpose because it's serving. We really need people to step up into this, and it's because, yes, we all have a story to tell. And we were not perfect, and we're never going to be perfect. So anyone who thinks that they have the time and now can help the next generation, there's nothing more rewarding than that. It's just so amazing to watch God work in their lives and bring them that peace and out of the chaos that's going on in their lives. What is God calling you and me to do in our cities and in our neighborhoods to bring his shalom to them? You know, maybe for you it looks like volunteering to help out at Recovery for Life. Maybe it does. And maybe it looks like something else. But it's our calling from God to be the hands and feet of Jesus and, and bring peace to our communities around us. So let's pray. God, we are thankful that you sent Jesus to be our Prince of Peace. God, we're thankful that Jesus came to... to just stop the chaos between us and you. And God, and as Jesus comes back one day, and we look forward to that, especially in this Advent season, God, we look forward to the day that Jesus comes back and wipes away all the chaos from our lives, all the chaos from this world, and provides us with an uh, unending amount of, of peace. God, we pray that, that you use your church, the people sitting here this morning, myself included, God, use us to be your agents of peace. And we are thankful for the opportunity to join you. All in Jesus' name, amen.